0: purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Welcome to StageCraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with the stars, creators, and industry leaders keeping theater alive during the pandemic. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of StageCraft, I'm talking to Blair Underwood and Mandy Greenfield about the Williamstown Theatre Festival's new audio production of Paradise Blue. Underwood, a familiar face from film and TV shows like L.A. Law and Quantico, is currently up for a Tony Award for his performance in A Soldier's Play on Broadway, and he stars as the central character named Blue in Paradise Blue. Mandy Greenfield is the artistic director of the Williamstown Theatre Festival, which produced the world premiere of Dominique Morisot's play in 2015, and is presenting this new production as part of a season-long partnership with the audio entertainment platform Audible. Both Greenfield and Underwood are in the virtual studio with me to tell us all about it. Hi, Blair and Mandy. Thanks for joining me. (laughs) Hey, Gordon. (laughs) Good to be here.
3: Good. Great to see you, Gordon. Great to hear you, Gordon.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yes. before, we, before we talk specifically about Paradise Blue, I wonder if we could rewind just a little bit and talk a little bit about some of the backstory for both of you. Blair, you're um, nominated for Tony right now for a show that you were in when the pandemic hit. You were about to finish up your run in it. and that. Uh, and you know you had to pause before, right before those last few performances. I wonder if we could start talking about sort of what your experience was in that play and what it was like to have to
1: end it uh, just a little bit prematurely. Oh, Gordon, you're very kind. Thank you. Thank you for <laughs> mentioning it. Uh, yeah, it was a soldier's play directed by Kenny Leon and uh, it was a f- phenomenal cast. Uh, David Allen Greer and Jerry O'Connell and just a slew of just phenomenal, just fantastic uh characters and, and actors. Um, yeah, you know, it was it was amazing because I love doing theater, first of all. Um, uh, but for Williamstown Theater Festival and Mandy, <laughs> Broadway's Broadway's Broadway is always great fun to do. Um, you know, and we'll talk about Williamstown Theater Festival, which is right. magical in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, it was such a strange and odd time to work on stage in the theater, you know, when this whole onslaught of COVID happened. And as we all know, Broadway shut down on on March 12th. And I think the day before the NBA had shut down. So, you know, of course, we've been hearing rumblings about this COVID thing coming, it's coming. And, you know, I always like to go out after a a show and say hello to, um, you know, the audience members and sign playbills. And they had shut that down the day before. So that was the first, the precursor. And then they shut down the NBA and we said, Wait, hey, this is pretty serious. Um, And then everything shut down on on the 12th. And I, I just feel very fortunate, Gordon, that we, Pretty much, had completed our run. Right. You know, we we uh, had one more show we were able to do it was a the archival performance for the Lincoln Center that was scheduled for Friday the thirteenth. So we went on and did it without an audience, right. and that was our last time doing the play. And we were supposed to close two days later on Sunday. So I've, I'm very grateful that we had a chance to do that, and just um, you know, it breaks my heart. It's one thing if you know you're gonna you have a show coming up and you can't do it. You haven't left home. You haven't prepared. But there are a number of shows that were supposed to open that week that were deep in the throes of uh, of, of rehearsal and and previews. And, you know, my heart just breaks for them. But I'm just ready to, to soon, hopefully, or this year, hopefully in 2021, Mandy, you know more about that on the front lines, get back to live theater. Yeah. Yeah. And Mandy, for you, right around about a year ago now, um,
2: do you were, uh, you know, I imagine putting the final touches on a season that would have been live and in person at the Williamstown Theater Festival summer season. Um, and it was around, you know, I imagine March that you had to that you realize that you would have to sort of pivot. And you came up with a sort of innovative deal that you've got with um, Audible. I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about how that all came together.
3: Sure. Um... You know, there were those weeks in March, uh, as Blair said, you know, as it was just a kind of avalanche of cancellations, right, and uh, shows and things that were meant to open and events and, you know, everything, every day was being canceled. And I don't know if you remember the day that the New York Times published a little tool where if we flattened the curve by wearing masks and being socially distanced, you could see that the elongation of this thing, right, was 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 our destiny. And it was better that way. It was better to elongate and lower the number of illnesses and deaths than it was to sort of continue on pace the way we had been. But on the day they published that tool, I just thought, we can't do this theater season. You know, this was still in the early days of the pandemic where everyone thought, oh, we'll be back in a couple of months, right? Oh, we'll just sit it out for a couple of months and then everything will kind of come roaring back but that tool told the truth and i just thought we've got to we've got to figure out how to keep these voices heard how to keep artists working how to make new work for an audience that's going to need it more than ever before because as we all know you know, theater teaches us who we are and who we can be. It's an art that is, you know, indelibly and essentially about being alive, being human, the complexity of that, the contradiction of it, the hope of it. Um, and so it was really in, in a, one night, uh, my kid's school was canceled. It became very real to me very quickly. I was up, I was very stressed. I couldn't read, I couldn't watch TV, but I could listen. And Mm. I realized that was the way forward, right? Because there is something about listening that causes our imaginations and our hearts to be engaged. Because you can only listen. You can't do anything else when you're listening. You can only actually listen. And there's something very freeing about it. So, yeah, I called uh, Kate Navin at Audible. Uh, really just a you know a couple of weeks later and said, let's do this. Would you be interested to do it? And um, almost immediately she said, yes.
2: Mandy, both you and Blair have a history with Paradise Blue specifically. Blair, you were in the world premiere of the play uh, that Mandy, you and Williamstown produced back in 2015. How did each of you get involved with the play at first back then? Let's start with you, Blair. Well, but, or, uh, or, mate, no, Mandy. Oh. <laughs>
3: Oh, I'll Mandy! Start. No, go ahead. No, yeah. Mandy. Ladies first. I'll <laughs> start. I mean, I read Dominique Morisot's play in the fall of 2014. It was one of the first plays that came my way when I became the artistic director, and I just flipped out. I thought this woman is writing plays that belong in league with the best American writers that we have. And so, in fact, uh, we did it on the main stage, sandwiched in between a world premiere William Inge play and uh, and a production of a Eugene O'Neill play uh but you know when i read it i also thought this is the kind of play that needs major artists major artists you know dominique's writing is as poetic as it is dramatic it is as soulful as it is funny it is as human as it is heartbreaking and we needed major artists to to bring this thing to life. And I sent it to Ruben Santiago Hudson, the director, thinking he's going to laugh at me. He's not going to come to Williamstown. There's no way, no how. And he said yes. And then, of course, he put together, you know, based around his relationships with, you know, Blair Underwood, starting with the great Blair Underwood. And you know, when we went out to you, Blair, I just thought, you know, these guys are going to laugh me out of town. They're going to think I'm. His... <laughs> And really, it was truly starting with Blair and then every actor around Blair, everyone said yes immediately. And maybe that's the power of Ruben Santiago Hudson, but maybe it was also the power of this, you know, extraordinary play by this extraordinary writer at an extraordinary moment in time looking at, you know, Detroit and, um, you know, a a series of decades uh, in its evolution uh, with such brilliance and such fearlessness, uh, it just had to be done.
1: So and Blair, so tell me how the play got to you and what you responded to in it. Well, I will tell you as Mandy said, part of a great part of it was attributed to the relationship of Ruben Santiago Hudson, who's a friend of mine, number one, but it also because of uh, of Mandy and the history of Williamstown Theater Festival. I had never been there, and any actor who comes through New York, any actor really, but especially if you come through New York, you know about Williamstown Theater Festival. And I've always wanted to be a part of that. Um, and then thirdly, of course, the writing of Dominique Mariso. This was a season of my life um, where I finished doing a TV show and I was just kind of burnt out on Hollywood and I just wanted to do theater. I, so I took a year off and just did theater. And I had just done, as Mandy mentioned, some of the, the greatest playwrights. i just done Othello. Um, with Barry Edelstein, so Shakespeare, and A Streetcar Named Desire, Tennessee Williams, and Horton Foote, Trip to Bountiful. So I had just finished working with some of the the greatest writers on the planet ever. And Ruben called me and said, this writer, Dominique Morisot, you have to read her work. She's the next great thing. So just based on that, and I read it, and I felt, the, I heard um, the rhythms of an August Wilson, of a, of, of a Lorraine Hansberry, of a Horton Foote, but it, the specificity of the people and the characters of Detroit, because she is from Detroit, she is Detroit. It was all right there, and that's what makes these great writers so great, because it's it's the specifics of who these people are in these times. And so I I, I couldn't jump fast enough. I had to, I had time where I could do it, and I told Ruben I very much wanted to do it, and and. So it's, it's it's I take my hat off to Mandy for seeing the value and seeing the, what what would make sense and then and Reuben and and Dominic's words and script. And what
2: do each of you remember about that production in terms of uh what it was like to work on and what you felt like you really achieved with it and maybe were there things that you wanted to revisit in 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 the work or in the character you played or something like that.
3: Well, for me, I mean, you know, how it landed in this uh, Audible season had everything to do with the, you know, at the Williamstown Theater Festival, we make work very fast uh, under, you know, intense circumstances, and you sort of begin to see what the play and the production is going to be toward the end of the run, really. Yeah. Right? Hey, sorry, because Mandy, all... can we can we yeah. just
2: clarify when? How long is the rehearsal period? It's something absurdly short,
3: right? The rehearsal period is less absurdly short. The rehearsal oh, okay. period is three and a half or four weeks. Oh, okay. the, tech, okay. the tech period is absurdly oh, okay. short. Got <laughs> it. It's like a minute and a half. And yeah. then, you know, the run is pretty short. Right. And, and you know, it, sort of the run is three weeks, which is an ordinary preview period in New right. York. Yeah. And toward the end of, you know, the run, you really begin to see the actors sink in, the performances really deepen. I mean, you really begin to see... But in the case of Paradise Blue, also the degree to which music is and was and kind of revealed itself to be a a sixth character in the play, if you will, which is, I think, what stuck with me. Right. When we had the opportunity to think about what else could go into this audible season. The degree to which music is also, you know, a real piece of the storytelling here felt like such an obvious candidate for, you know, an audio format. So I was thrilled when when, you know, everyone that, you know, was involved uh, in that original production just said, yes, let's do this. Um, And of course, you know, the opportunity to bring Dominique both as a writer and an artist and a storyteller to a global stage really felt like um, a necessary moment and opportunity. Yeah.
2: And Blair, for you, what was the experience of uh, doing
1: the show first in Williamstown like for you? Well, when I said magical before, I meant that because mm. Williamstown, for those who haven't been there, it's 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 in the Berkshire Mountains. It's this idyllic town and it's like small town America. And I loved it. And, and I remember it, what was said to me years ago, it's kind of like summer camp for actors. <laughs> mm-hmm. and it, But it's intense. I mean, you're working all day long. And at night you you kind of go home and relax, but it's just, it's just a a beautiful, wonderful place, but it's, but it's all about the work and people are there to do a job and it's, it's intense, but, but amazing all at the same time. So, uh, that whole experience was phenomenal for us. I mean, it's, it's rare when you have a, a group of people, a cast and a crew that just, number one, get along. Number two, have respect, mutual respect for each other. And number three, Within that respect, challenge each other to do our best work, and that's what we that's what we found. That was my, certainly my experience with Paradise Blue, and there's also that other layer and element that's special because it was a world premiere. It was the first time it had ever been produced, so that just adds another layer and aspect of of, of challenge, uh, but also of really liberation. Yeah. And
3: what and for, and was, is, I was hungry for that.
1: I mean, every the, the three projects I told you about I had just done, they had all been done before, especially Street Named Desire and the Shadow of Marlon Brando. So, you know, it was so nice to really be liberated from all of that and, and have a chance and opportunity to create something new for the very first time and and put our stamp on it as a, as an ensemble. Yeah. And
2: what's interested you personally or professionally about returning to it right now and
1: thinking about that character, returning to that oh. getting to revisit it again. Mandy knows I've been trying to return to that character for, for since I left it. <laughs> I mean, I really you know, when we did it in uh, at the, uh, the Signature Theater in New York, I was supposed to do it. And I was unable to because of scheduling problems and still very much would like to bring it to Broadway one day um, and put it on film another day. It's one of those characters because uh, Blue, we specifically yeah. Blue, who runs, who's the head of this, this band, um, this, jazz, this jazz quartet in Black Bottom Detroit in the 1940s. He's very troubled and uh, i i tend to i don't know why i'm distraught to troubled characters tormented characters <laughs> um, but the, but really the complexities in the and the contradictions as mandy mentioned that it all within this world of all of these five five characters including uh the music um just just uh i found so compelling and intriguing um, and, and and so much more to explore. You know, it was interesting. I did see the preview in New York uh, after I finished the job. I, I, I did and came back. And it was so amazing to have created this character and watched and been a part of this production and then be have some distance on it, be divorced mm-hmm. from it and watched with fresh eyes. So all of a sudden, and uh, oh, oh, oh my God, I think the brother, the brother who played in my role is my man. Um, is Jay
3: so- Alphonse.
1: J. Alphonse Nicholson. Yes, Jay Alphonse Nicholson, my boy, uh, who was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing in the role but just because there's distance on it for the first time I I, I had new ideas mm. of how to approach the role so yeah hopefully we'll get back to it uh, in another in another way and we did that with this audible this audible presentation I was able to kind of just uh, try different things uh, that I hadn't tried before on stage mm. And that and that in and of itself is the what's so wonderful about the theater you always have the opportunity to come back and uh, and do it again night after night and in this case a few years later yeah.
2: And you are not the only actor returning to uh, this this play. Um, Mandy, what was the sort of thinking behind uh, the kind of casting of this in terms of, uh, you know, going with people who had done it before versus, uh, you know, a newer, a, a new set of actors?
3: Well, here's what you learn when you work with Dominique Morso and Ruben Santiago Hudson and Blair Underwood it's a family, and that family's not going to break up. Um, you know, this company came back together, uh, although uh, for Audible joined uh, by Simone Lissick, who, who wasn't in the original production. Um, but they came back together in 20, not, you know, 2020, uh, fall of 2020 to record Paradise Blue, having not really done this show together for some number of years. But you know, it was like nobody had been apart. I mean, it was like conversations picked up in many arrests. It was just watching people come back together to their family. And, you know, I think also because, um, you know, it does take a certain kind of actor, you know, we talk about, you know, there are certain Terrence McNally actors, there are certain um, uh, uh You know, there are certain actors who, you know, you you know what the work requires. I'll have more with Blair and Mandy. There are Donnie actors, and there are Ruben, Santiago, Hudson (laughs) actors. (laughs) And when you find them, you hold on, and they are family. So uh, I don't really feel like we chose. I felt like uh, the actors chose it, you know, Uh, and uh, the, the material is so indelibly fused to what everyone has brought to the material, um, heart, soul, skill, um, investment. It's really beautiful to watch everyone come back together again.
2: I'll have more with Blair and Mandy right after the break.
0: It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?
2: And now here's more with Blair Underwood and Mandy Greenfield. Let's talk a little bit about the actual process. I'm guessing none of you were ever in the same room as uh, throughout this uh, rehearsal and recording.
3: Yes. So, you know, <laughs> when we the the original pivot to Audible hmm. uh, did assume that at some point in the summer of 2020, we would be able to be in a studio together and look each other in the face and record. Um, and it was probably in about June of 2020, where we realized, uh, nope, that's not going to happen. So there was a kind of second pivot to this completely remote way of working, which uh, Blair, maybe you want to talk a little bit about that experience.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I laugh when you bring that up, because I literally was in my wife's closet, <laughs> surrounded by clothes <laughs> and shoes galore, uh, recording recording the, uh, the production for three days, I think, two, two mm-hmm. or three days it, it took. But um, no, it was it was amazing, and Audible was great because so much of what we do now is Zoom or what we're on right now, Squadcast. But yeah. in this case, they sent the equipment to us, so it was very high end professional microphones and a, a separate computer, and we set those up wherever we were. And some people um, had studios in their house. I n- I never did. I'm in the closet, and yeah. um, you know, we all had different types of uh, setups, but at least we had the equipment to to uh, keep it equal. And was there a rehearsal period
2: or? how did how, how did that how did it look like a a sort of traditional um you know theater run in terms of rehearsal and teching i guess so, i don't know
3: for the world premiere work in the audible season mm. there was a full week and a half of rehearsal before recording for paradise blue right. it was a little bit truncated because you know these actors had found the work prior really um but blair i don't know if you want to just talk about the process a bit
1: well, yeah, I think we 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 had I think we had a a week or a few days four five six days allotted. It turned out I think we did two strong days for many hours. I don't remember exactly what it was, but we were kind of there. I mean, like like Mandy said, it, it is a family. Uh, Simone Missick, as you mentioned, was new, but she because she had done the role in New York, right. she was very familiar with the material. Right. But those rhythms we just picked up right away, and it was just like getting the band back together with the new with the new lead singer and the fe- the female lead singer. Um, but, but, but that, that was it. I mean, really, and also it was interesting to just focus on the audio, you know, all of us really, you know, um, all of us do voiceovers. So we know it is a different muscle that you use. Um, so I found myself turning the lights off in in my wife's closet and, um, just focusing on what I'm hearing and kind of giving it back as I, as I heard it as well. And what did you end up discovering in the character
2: as you were focusing on this? delivering the performance in this one, uh, very
1: specific, uh, way. Well, because we were in the fall of 2020 and because we were in the midst, um, hopefully we're near the end of it. I don't know, but we were in the midst of such a uh, loss of life and livelihood and uncertainty. Um, I, I really t- wanted to tap into that cause I was feeling it, you mm-hmm. know, and that's very much what blue was feeling on steroids. Um, so I just kind of, Tapped into that vein and opened that vein up and found, you know, I think deeper and different uh, colors and shades than I than I was able to tap into before. Right, and uh, you've both
2: mentioned the fact that music plays an important role in this. How did you think about uh, incorporating the music in this new audio form? What could you do maybe with this music that you weren't able to achieve last time, or how does it uh, fit in differently this time for this production?
3: Well, I think that the music uh, bears a you know huge part of the um, sort of storytelling delivery system, right? I mean, the emotional trajectory that the audience is taken on and through. Uh, Is really sort of, you know, catapulted and supported by the music in addition to the sound design. uh, We have a brilliant sound designer named Darren West. Uh, The music is co composed by Kenny Rampton and uh, Bill Sims Jr., who sadly passed away uh, not so long ago. Um, But, you know, to have Kenny Rampton playing trumpet on this, you know, unbelievable theater recording um, and, and letting that trumpet sound carry an audience. You know, you don't have a set, you don't have costumes, you don't have the other dimensions of live theater. So sound and music really deliver us. Uh, so much of the experience and uh, it, I think the way that Ruben and and Darren and, and Kenny found a way to weave it throughout uh, in this version you know it's also interesting in audio because you don't have the visual piece there are certain other sonic components that that change the experience I don't I don't want to um, you know rob anyone their experience of Paradise Blue but I hope you know the way um, you know the way certain sounds hit your ear cause you uh, to, to ask questions rather than answer them. I think in this version, in a way that's really provocative and interesting.
2: And what, as you were experiencing it, Blair? You know, through the through recording it, and Mandy listening now to, uh, you know, I, I don't know if a finalized version is is has been finalized yet, but at least the version that exists now for you right at the moment. Um, what, as, what strikes you about? Uh, what kind of comes to the fore in the story uh, when you're just focused on uh, the music and the audio
1: and the, and the sound of uh, the language and the story, the beating heart, Hmm. the beating heart of every human being of every character, you know, all of Dominique's plays like August Wilson, who has a a 10 decade can hundred year, uh, hundred year canon of plays. Dominique, as I mentioned before, is from Detroit and this sequence, of plays or three plays set in Detroit. Each one has to do with people who are affected by, by ultimate life changes outside of their realm, bigger and larger than them. In the case of Paradise Blue, it's the fact that there's gentrification and there's there's new governmental leadership, a mayor Kobo, at the time, and they're they're there's they're facing the destruction of the community, um, their, their bar paradise valley itself where with all these bars and, and, and companies so the, the the dealing of that as the characters we're all feeling that again as we are now in the world in which we live um so to really tap into that and focus from a, just an audible standpoint um, taking the visual away it forces you to go deeper yeah that, blair yeah and, that... and i know
2: i know we all did yes yeah no i just that leads me uh into my next question, which was, how do you feel this play hits right now, as opposed to, you know, in 2015, when you first did it in 2018, when they did it at the signature, what, what really resonates now uh, with the timing right now
1: coming out right now? Yeah. It's so interesting, right? We all have a different prism that we're looking through now with everything in life. And especially because so much of us myself included, so many of us, you know, we're watching so many movies on all the streaming services and, and, um, and everything looks and sounds differently. Um, and 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 I think it is it is just that mm-hmm. that we see things differently because of the social unrest, specifically about the the black community. Right. Um, people are hearing hearing differently, seeing in a unique way. Um, when when the social unrest happened with George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery this last summer and, and and Breonna Taylor, you know, so many of us in the black community said, "This is what we've been talking about." You know, I had so many of my white friends call me and say, is is this how it really is? And, you know, let's talk. I want to talk conversations with very good friends that we just never had. Um, And I think by the same token, people looking at and in this case, listening to this black experience, this very specific African-American Detroit experience of these artists. I can't remember the, the exact line offhand, but there's a line that one of the characters says to be black and brilliant. Um, is, is 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 very difficult. I forgot exactly poetic like the <laughs> price he
3: pay. It's the price he he talks about right. the price he pays for being black and brilliant. That's right. It's Andre Holland's that. character. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, P. Sam, Andre Holland's character. Um, we know that. We feel that. As black artists, we live that. But now, people hearing this and listening to this in 2021 through this Audible production. It will resonate in a different way. It does resonate in a unique and different and 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 urgent way. Yeah.
3: And it's so interesting, you know, to think. I mean, there's nothing I could add to that, by the way, that would compare. But I'm I'm going to add anyway that, you know, uh, you know, Dominique Moroso utilizing a sort of you know, snapshot in history, right? It's so often in American theatrical culture that you know, we forget that period plays are, yes, about the period that they are written about, but they are about the moment that the writer is writing, right? <laughs> They're as much about Dominique Morisot's lived experience as it is about the lives of the characters, you know? And I think that also hearing this story again reminds us that playwrights are prescient, extraordinary artists who vibrate with the universe. And if we listen to them, they will tell us where it's at. They will tell us what we need to be listening to, and they will ultimately show us the way forward. That's what artists do. That's what they've always done. That's the power of brilliant artistry. You know, and uh, this play was there. She was there. This group of artists has been there. Uh, for a long time.
1: And you you're so right. You often hear that that artists reflect the times. But to project and to be prescient is a whole different thing and I, I agree with you 100% on that. Mhm. Yeah. Mhm. And uh, Paradise Blue comes out
2: on Audible uh at the end of uh, toward the end of March. Um, and I wonder if we could uh, also now look ahead for both of you. What uh, What's coming up on your various plates, Mandy, first of all, what is the Williamstown Theater Festival for 2021 look like?
3: All plays starring Blair Underwood.
1: <laughs> it's an I'm all in.
3: Blair Underwood season.
1: This is why I love her so much. I'm in. Um, <laughs>
3: you know, we are working to put together a season and we are really hoping that our country Gets healthy so that it will be safe to make theater uh, again, and it will. We will figure it out. We will find a way forward, um, but we've got to make sure it's safe and uh, and and right. So, uh, you know, as as all of that becomes clear, so too will our plans. But but a, but an all Blair Underwood season, by the way, would not be so bad. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You me. when do we start when yeah do we start? <laughs> and blair what's coming up for you i, I as i mentioned yeah. you're uh nominated for a tony award and the tony's will happen at some point uh, at some i think point. who
1: knows theoretically at some point. but congratulations you know, on
2: that and what thank um, you thank you what
1: um what else have, is on your plate looking ahead yeah i'm dying to get back to the theater but uh you know until that happens i'm grateful that film and television has gotten back to work you know in line with all the COVID precautions and regulations and all of that. But I, I'm actually developing with um, a, a phenomenal production team, a reboot of LA Law, the show that kind of gave me my leg up uh, 20, mm, many years ago, <laughs> many years ago. And it's in conjunction with uh, um, the Bochco estate, Stephen Bochco, who created LA Law. Um, Dana Bochco, his wife and son, uh, that Stephen has uh, passed away about two years ago, unfortunately, but uh, Jesse Bochco and Anthony Hemingway, but a, a tremendous production team. And I'm also executive producer on it and we're developing it now with ABC. So I'm very excited about that. Mm, so cool. we'll see what happens with it. Very
2: cool. Yeah, you've, thank you. Thank you've me. mentioned more than once, Blair, that you really uh, are anxious to get back to theater and you always enjoy returning to theater. Let's. I wonder if we can end with just you telling us a little bit about what it is about theater that you find so
1: nourishing and what it is that you oh. makes you so anxious to get back. My God, it's it's the immediacy of the relationship and the journey of the emotions of the characters and storytelling in a way. It's the relationship between the artist on stage and the audience, um, and we're we're breathing the same air, and it's different every night. I I, I love that. You know, uh, I do love film and television. You know, the beauty of that is what whatever work you do, it lasts forever. It's committed to film or tape or digital forever and ever, amen. But in the theater, the beauty for me is to be able to recreate it and fine tune it and improve upon that work every night. But it really is, you know, that's why it, it is the actor's medium because we, we have a, a chance every night to take a journey for an hour and a half to two hours from beginning to end that we never do in film and television. There's, you know, it's because it's, there's no continuity. And that's what we do. That's what we love, to, to put on that, that skin of a particular character and and live that life and live it for two hours Uh, there's nothing else like it yeah and live it and share it with the audience there's nothing else like it
2: Mm. well we look forward to having the chance to see you on stage in the all blair underwood season at the (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) williams thank
1: you both thank you so much for joining me it was great talking to you oh Gordon, i appreciate it thank you manny this was fun
3: so fun we'll do it again
1: we'll do it again we'll take it on the road
3: thank you gordon thank you
1: That was
2: actor Blair Underwood and Williamstown Theater Festival Artistic Director Mandy Greenfield, and their new project together, Paradise Blue, will be released on Audible March 25th. If you like what you're hearing on this and other episodes of StageCraft, I'd really appreciate it if you took the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us grow our audience of folks who love theater as much as you and I do. Or tell a friend about StageCraft. You can find past episodes or subscribe on Apple Podcasts and on all the other pod places, including Spotify and on the Broadway Podcast Network, which is another great place to find more Theater for Your Ears. I'll be back in two weeks with another new episode. Until then, find me on Twitter at GCoxVariety. Thanks for listening, and see you soon.